Hello and welcome to TOEFOP. I'm Charlie Clawson. My name is Will Anderson. This was going to be episode 33. Yep. Which is uh, the Jesus episode. Right. Yes, that's right. And you know that we're going to get crucified. This this episode will go out and uh, you know, preach the good news. Yep. But then people become suspicious of it mm. and there'll be a campaign against it. Yep. It'll be crucified and then it'll rise again. Yeah. And then people, like, thousands of years from now will find the the original transcripts of the things we said in the first three, 33 episodes and they will completely misinterpret them to stop abortions and gay people. <laughs> <laughs> did you see um, our boy, the Beeb? Uh, he did that interview in Rolling Stone, I don't know, like a while ago. Yeah. And uh, he came out and he said uh, that uh, he was anti-abortion. Yeah, well, he said you shouldn't, shouldn't have an abortion. Yeah. People leapt on that, didn't they? Yeah. Like, the opinion of a 16-year-old. But also, what what is a fucking Rolling Stone journalist asking a 16-year-old kid his opinions on abortion? Maybe ask him his opinions on masturbation. He's a 16-year-old boy. But I don't think he's thinking about abortion. Unless he's, like, you know, beebering around the country knocking teenage girls up. And he's got, like, a an abortionist, like, who's travelling around in the bus with them. <laughs> But otherwise, I don't think that he really has an opinion on it. He said that you should not have sex with somebody until you're in love, which is a nice thing for a, a 16-year-old uh, kid to think. And and he said that he didn't think that um, you should have an abortion. But I don't think he was saying that people shouldn't be able to have abortions. I think he was just saying, in an ideal world, people shouldn't have abortions. I mean, that's the thing. People think, say, you've got to say you're pro-choice. You're not pro-abortion. Yeah. You know, it's no one's sitting around going, there should be more abortions. No. Sometimes when you're standing in line at the shops, you kind of do. Do you ever stand in line, like, behind, say, 100 people in a line for something and just look through the line and, and pick out the people that perhaps the world could be better without? Um, <laughs> is this the start of your manifesto? <laughs> Occasionally, I do look around the room and just go, you're a passenger. Uh, you are not 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 if they're passive. Like you know, if I've been at a pub and some fucking dickhead starts a fight or something, I'm yeah. like, you know, we could be, we, the world would be better without you. But they have to provoke that reaction. I don't just like scan. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm like a the Terminator. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm a sniper <laughs> in a bell tower, just going, who, who should I pick off first? <laughs> I, I, I'm all talk and no game, though. I'd like be, you know, I'm not a person who would ever. Like, this is my whole thing with, uh, you know, your, your mass murderers and stuff. There's so much planning. Yeah. And driving and buying of ropes. There's a pattern. Diggings of holes. It just seems like a lot of fucking oh, work. Oh, that, yeah, sorry. Yeah, the physical labor. I, I reckon the actual planning and the, and the pattern is hard work. Like, if I was going to kill, you know, people, just sort of, just say I had to kill a person a week because of, you know, my pathological, I was driven pathologically to do that. Yeah, yeah, quite a... Yeah, to, to kill people. I wouldn't have a pattern. Like, one week someone annoys me, another week that person may not annoy me. So if the police were hunting me down, there's like there is no connecting factor to any of these murders. Yeah, This guy has no pattern. He's, no planning, obviously, went into this. This guy was smuggled This is the, the, the worst serial killer we've ever tracked. This guy was pushed off a bridge by a guy who was just going by on a bike. <laughs> Totally, like, yeah. Whenever well, there was an opportunity for you to kill somebody, well, you just do it. Yeah, that was the least physically taxing. Yeah. You're like, if you just found yourself somewhere and you thought you could get away with it... I'd do it. You'd just do it. Yeah. 
to film my quota. You know what? I could do that. Like, I'm not saying that I could do that, but I have the opportunity to do that. Uh, to kill people. Yeah. Near my house in Sydney, there's big cliffs. Um, you know, there's a big lighthouse and, and people, it's a tourist destination, so people will walk around the cliffs. Yeah, it's where the gap is, yeah. Yeah, to have a look into the harbour and, you know, like it's a, it's, you know, it's a nice area. And if there's any event like, you know, Jessica Watson sailing in or the Sydney to Hobart Yacht Race or something like that, it, you know, those big ships that come in, it's a really good place to go and watch that from. Yeah. But it's just a massive fucking cliff and then the ocean. Yeah. Right? I jog around there. And there's often just some old fella, yeah. like, you know, out on the rocks, yeah. looking for a good fishing spot. I could just fucking give him a little bit of a side bump. Yeah. Whoa, there you go. You no know, one would know. You know what I often think? And Gemma, like, I think in her heart of hearts, thinks this is my serial killer element. Like, you know, you suspect that maybe the person you love could kill. Yeah. The thing that reveals to her that is when we're, whenever we're in the country, just say we're driving like, um, you know, just say you're in Byron, right? And you sort of drive out into the kind of, into the, like the foresty kind of area and sometimes you can go up a little hill and, and whatever. Yeah. If I killed someone yeah. and just dumped their body randomly off the side of the road in one of those back streets, yeah. and, you know, buried it maybe three feet and covered it with leaves. <laughs> like, who would find that? Like in Australia, you, there's so much land, you drive through forests, like and especially yeah. if you're on a hill and you dump them down like an incline. Yeah. Like what, like... There's going to be no hikers through there. Like, how soon before I would be discovered? Like, if it was that random, like it was nowhere near I, where, where I lived, like I just picked up, picked up a hitchhiker on this road, I just killed them, that person would never get found. Okay, a couple of things. What? I love that you did the bare minimum. What do you mean? Like, you put them in three feet and just covered them with some Yeah, the bare minimum. Like That's what I'm saying. Really, like, I'm not trying hard. You're done. You've done nothing. No. You couldn't even kick them, like, ten metres into the forest. Well, that, you did say... If it was downhill. Yeah. But basically you were saying, I'm willing to push them three feet. If they can roll further away, that's great. Yeah. If gravity can do some of the work, but I'm not doing any more than three feet of work. Yeah. Well, okay, let's make it, it's not even a forest. You've done the drive from Melbourne to Sydney, the Hume yeah. Highway. There's long stretches where it's just a paddock. Yeah. If you killed someone on any of those kind of long barren stretches, chucked them over the fence, dug a three foot hole and covered them in grass and dirt. Yeah. How long before they're found? Uh, I mean, what brings people first? Will birds start feeding? Yeah, I guess like some sort of scavenger. Because you always hear when... Like a dog might dig up the bones or something. Right, okay. So maybe... It, like so a farmer's out there and the dog starts digging at a pile of like, you know, well, you, something. You, you often hear like with Ivan Malat that like people are out jogging yeah. or doing orienteering or something and they found the body. And it's like, well, why are you burying the body in like a parks and recreation area? Just find a spot where no fucking joggers would go through. So if you're driving... Hey, Ivan, are you sure it should be under the swings? (laughs) (laughs) There's this perfectly good area with all the trees over here. Well, if you had to bury a body, where would you put it? Um, In the desert, I reckon. No, I mean, I'm talking like genuinely... Seriously, how would you do it? How are you going to get to the desert with a dead body? You kill someone at your house. Yeah, in the car. So you pack it into the boot. Yeah, I guess so. It's a long way to drive. You could get pulled over. Someone could see something. Yeah, I, could, I mean, that is a risk I wouldn't have to take. But you genuinely, the desert is where you'd head. I think the desert, or I'd dump it off the cliff, I suppose. Ocean. Yeah, into the ocean. Engine block, tied to the foot. Yeah, <laughs> I could probably do that. I mean, that's closer to my house. <laughs> and the cops would be like, well, he wouldn't do it so close to his house, would he? Yeah, we well, could bury Unless it. he was incredibly stupid and lazy. <laughs> oh, hang on. Or your backyard. 
Do you think that's too bold? Well, you know what, though? It's probably less likely because whoever, come, whoever comes into my backyard to do things. Do you ever not have a gardener or anything? Yeah, but, like, I mean, I could, um, you know, you could... It's it's not like if you had a, a body buried under the, my office out the back of the house, right? I wouldn't. I just wouldn't invite, like, people in that are going to dig under, Yeah. you know, my office. That yeah. would be silly of me. Okay, so just say the person... You pick up a drifter, so there's yeah. no connection to you at all. Uh-huh. And you kill them when you take them home. Where do you bury them in your house? Well, out the back, out the back, the behind my office. Yep, in the garden. But don't you have neighbours where they might see in? No, no. There's a there's a bit between my um, my office and our back fence, and it's only like about a meter. Like it's really just the bit between that building and and the fence. It has no real reason to be there and no use to you mm. as a bit of land. Mm. So it's like one meter, perfect place to bury a body. Right. I could bury, I could bury twenty bodies there, without anyone ever getting suspicious. Twenty bodies. Twenty. I'd have to stack them on top of each other. But don't you reckon? That I'd have to go deep. Your neighbours would have to notice something. And twenty. No, bodies. it's really secluded out there because the the house that backs onto it has been empty for like you know two years or something. But that's and you, so there's no on. one in that. But if twenty bodies, how deep a hole are you burying? Well, I'm going to dig deep pretty early, and then I'm how just going to layer them in. How are you going to dig that deep with, with a shovel? You're going to dig like fucking. What, at least so you got twenty people. Yeah, you'd need it. What at least twenty foot? No, no, no. I'm gonna, um, I, I'm gonna do them head to head, and so I'm just need it five deep. Head to head. Yeah. What do you mean. Uh, uh, so well, you dig the hole. How do the bodies go in? I dig, I dig the hole, and I go head to head. I may, I'll, I'll probably get three. So I could get three, like you know, head oh, to head. Okay, yeah. And then say, so what's that? Six deep, seven deep. Okay, right. So that's okay. okay. Yeah, okay. That's manageable, I reckon. And you reckon you could do that with a shovel yeah, without anyone seeing? Yeah, it's really secluded out there. I could definitely get a right way with 20 before I, you know, people started to really well, suss off. Who was the guy who had the... Stack them like a sponge to cake. Who was the guy, um, the serial killer who had the kids under his floorboards, the clown guy? Um, John, John Wayne Gacy, the clown, you know, the serial yep, killer? Sure. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy. Yep. And, his thing was, I think he had like 14 bodies buried under his house, the floorboards of his house. Yeah, right. And he had like a wife and kids and, you know, like, I don't, that is the one I don't understand is, like, this was a guy, you live on your own, yeah. essentially. So sure, okay, you pick up a drifter. He was picking up like neighborhood kids or, you know, kids in the area and killing them and burying them in the house where he lived with his wife and kids. Like. Yeah. How the fuck do people not notice 14 bodies going under your house? You would think so, right? Yeah. Dad's always tinkering under the house. <laughs> What's that smell? Oh, it's a possum. It's a dead possum. Because, like, you'd think the smell yeah. of, like, that many kids. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? I mean, I think you could. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Understatement of the century. Murdering and burying 14 kids under your fucking house. That's weird, isn't it? Well, it is weird, <laughs> but it's not that inconceivable. That's the thing that I... Well, it's like we talked about the Fritzel thing. Like, yeah. I, you don't think? I think it's pretty inconceivable that you could live. Like, do you, do you have anything to do with your neighbours? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think I would if it was just me. Like, I know when my neighbours. But neighbors I mean, are, them really well, and so I like, know when my neighbours are having an argument, or when they're mad at their kids, or like you know, because you just you know you either hear things to the wall, or you see them on the way to the car. Like you, you know, and you make assumptions about people around you. Don't you think if you saw a guy 
he was always coming home late at night, always was wiping dirt off his hands. Like, maybe you didn't know he was burying 14 kids, but you would recognise some kind of strange behaviour. Oh, no, well, I'll tell you what. When I was living in Melbourne, uh, in Carlton, there was a guy next to me, in the house next to me, who my sister and I, because I live with my sister, swore was a serial killer. Because he would, he would be sawing things in his house at, like, unusual hours. Like, there was always these weird noises, and he would always take garbage out at mysterious times and move around bins. Vats of acid. Totally. And we were, like, absolutely convinced that this creepy old guy... And we used to joke about it. We're like, oh, the serial killer killed another one last night. And, oh, there he was out in the middle of the night moving around his bins. Laughing. Laughing. Cheersing each other. Yeah. If, If we'd found out years later... That he was indeed a serial killer and was killing people. So you don't know what he I was... I would have gone, yeah, of course he was. You don't know what he was doing still to this day. No, he still could have been killing people. He could have been a serial killer. It was in Carlton in the time that Underbelly was set. So that's, that's it. I lived there when all that stuff was going on. So he could have been cutting up like any of those missing, the people who just disappeared. Yeah. Well, you know, they used to have the meetings at Princess Park. You, you know, all those scenes from Underbelly yeah. where they would like have the meetings in the grandstand. My house was like 50 metres jog from, from Princess Park. But, but you, never saw, you never saw anything incriminating. You just heard stuff that was unusual. Yeah. No, I'm not saying he is a serial killer, Charlie. I'm not going to be called to testify. I'm just saying that if later on we found out that he was a serial killer... He could have been killer, a carpenter. Yeah. Our reaction next door was to laugh and joke about him being a serial killer. So that could well happen, even if I was being suspicious. And I think my neighbours think I'm suspicious anyway because I'm, you know, at the house for, you know... I, when, I go, when I'm at the house and I'm actually in town, I stay there 24 hours a day yeah, right. in so my pyjamas. And then I'm away for like long periods of time when I'm not at the house. You are the serial killer. I, I already have a pattern yeah. that is completely sus. If this was rear window, Jimmy Stewart would be in the next house with his leg and plaster in a wheelchair, like taking photos of you saying, oh, he's coming and going again. <laughs> totally. I could be going on killing sprees and then dragging the bodies back and burying them. In all that time they spend at home. Would you be shocked if it, um, I didn't turn up for a TOEFOP one day and then it, you found out that I had murdered five people? Knowing what you know of me now, would you, would you be like, fuck? You would not be the most likely of my friends. <laughs> like, there are some of my friends, and we all have them. There's some friends where, you, like, you're not saying that they are dodgy. You're not saying they would kill someone or bash someone or... Mm. Like, I don't know, sell drugs or, or have some secret life. You're not saying that they are doing any of those things. All you're saying is that if it came out that they were doing one of those things, you wouldn't be that shocked. You wouldn't be surprised. You'd just be like, eh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so a current affair have knocked on your door yeah. and they say, uh, your friend Charlie Clawson has just been charged with, you know, the murder of five backpackers. Mm. Was there anything about Charlie which led you to believe that he would be capable of such a thing. Anything. Um, so if you have to draw one wow. link, is there any, what about me do you think, my personality, you think could lead me to murder? Well, okay, there was a time when uh, Charlie was a young single man living in Bondi and I think he probably banged a heap of backpackers. So maybe... <laughs> <laughs> there was some connection between the experience he had when he was paying all those backpackers. And like that manifested itself in some sort of... Because he was now in a relationship and he wasn't allowed to have sex with backpackers, he had to instead track down backpackers and murder them. 
and have sex with their corpses. Did he have sex with their corpses? Oh, yeah, okay, that does make sense. Um, so I'd say it's probably that. You've, but, just, you've just become the star witness for the prosecution. <laughs> like, even I started to doubt. That, I was like, have I killed hookers? That's, this is a very convincing argument. That's how good you were. Wow. <laughs> but it must be like, I guess, um, you know, when there is a serial killer or something like that, I guess it is going to be, it can be that easy to draw conclusions about why they did it. You know, like, and maybe we, maybe it's all speculation. Like, you know, they talk about, you know, John Wayne Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer and their motivations for doing it. But, you know, maybe we're all capable of that. And it's only after the fact that you can then connect the dots and go, oh, well, of course, you know, his father, you know, never bought my pony or blah, blah, blah. I think we're all capable of anything. And I think that we are kidding ourselves if we think that one or two things uh, you know, are in are direct triggers. You know, I think that it, it's very much a. Um, so, I, I think of it a lot more like you know, uh, you know that like you need a little bit of grit in uh, to make a um, pearl. Yeah. You know the the pearl the grit grows from the pearl and the grit just got rubs and rubs and rubs and turns into a pearl. And I kind of feel like, for good or ill. That is the way that our lives are constructed. Yeah. You know, one thing might be the final bit where it turns into the pearl. Like, you know, the and sometimes people will draw a direct correlation between the thing that, you know, sort of happened directly before something and then the thing that happened. Yeah, yeah. Like those two it's, things. It's, it's, the way, but, it's, it's the way psychics work, you know, picking on a point in your life and drawing it to why you're at this point now. Like, it's, 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 it's just a creative license. Yeah. I mean, you can take things that, like, you know, obviously do have big influences on your life, mm. but, you know, you're mixing them in with all the various other factors of your life. So you're essentially saying that the Joker was right. In The Dark Knight, the Joker is essentially saying, hey, you know, you Harvey Dent, you Batman and me, the Joker, we're actually not that different. And no one in Gotham is that different. With a little flick of a switch, everyone can become a killer. That's what it, the Joker tries to prove the whole film. Even people like Batman who take a vow of I will never kill because my parents were killed, even he can be tempted to kill with just one bad day. I think almost anyone is one bad day away from being the worst person there is. Like, I think some people have higher tolerances and lower tolerances. But You think every, every human being is capable of, like, obscene violence and cruelty? Uh, yeah, I do. Even the Dalai Lama? I do. The Gandhi? and The Gandhi. Gandhi. The Gandhi. The Gandhi. <laughs> The Gandhi trademark. That's when they do the reboot. Yeah. I mean, the Gandhi. He's the Gandhi. Starring uh, Robert Pattinson. (laughs) (laughs) And they've rebooted Gandhi as like a mystical Eastern, like magician slash superhero. Gandhi in 60 seconds. (laughs) That's terrible. I I think that all human beings are capable of of great compassion and, and great artistic merit and... And, you know, and, and can be wonderful. And I think that all human beings you know, have the capacity to, to hate and fear and be terrible and persecute. So you think it's- I just think, you know that movie Falling Down? Yeah. I just think, I think everyone can get to that point. Defense. It just depends for different people on how long the day would have to be and how badly things would have to go wrong yeah. before they finally fucking snapped. For some people... It's just like, you know, a couple of bad days. Yeah. 
for other people, maybe like the Dalai Lama, he might have to have, like, say, a thousand bad days in a row. But eventually, even the fucking Dalai Lama would grab a little pair of weird little glasses and a gun and terrify an entire city. Well, you're right, because I guess, like, you know, you've got someone who has grown up in, like, a Midwestern town, you know, well-educated, who goes and, you know, shoots up their school. And then you've got a kid who grew up in the fucking Congo, you know, whose parents were kidnapped in front of him, all this kind of shit, who never does anything wrong. So one kid with all the advantages turns out to be a killer. Like, it's, it's not the environment. It's just, like, whatever floats your boat or rubs you the wrong way. It's a, it's a, it's a unique... Tr- it's a, there's a unique trigger for every person. It's like every time a whole bunch of people die in something, it's always a tragedy. You know, and and it is a tragedy. Like I'm not trying to say it's not, but just statistically, some of those people were pricks, or murderers, or rapists, or or whatever. So like, even in moments like that, there's the best of people and the worst of people, and the most tragic things, and kind of like a oh well, that probably isn't the biggest loss for the world. Yeah, you know. So how do you after you die? How do you get remembered? Is only like. A great person. Yeah, you, you don't. Do you? I don't know. I think when you die, don't like all sins become forgiven. Like people you have grudges against. Once you die, don't they forgive you? <laughs> Isn't that the way it works? Like, have you ever held a grudge against someone that you knew who's now dead? <laughs> Where I'm still like, <laughs> you know what? That motherfucker still owes me twelve bucks. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I you just. I mean, I. I I, I seem to, I, I just, I tend to think that, you know, once you kind of, um, once that person is gone, like the anger or the, the kind of jealousy or the resentment towards them sort of evaporates as well. I don't. Except if you're Hitler. <laughs> yeah, people still aren't fond of Hitler. <laughs> and he's been fucking dead for ages. Yeah. But so- it happens. Like, okay, maybe that's an extreme version. Let's take a less extreme version. When the crocodile hunter died. Yeah. As far as I knew in pop culture, people made fun of him. Mm-hmm. Like he was kind of like people liked him, and there's an affection for him. But he was considered to be like a stereotype. Yeah, it, it was a joke. It was a joke. Some people absolutely loved him. Yeah, on the level that he was intending. Well, yeah, and then he was enjoyed on a sort of ironic pop culture level by a whole different range of people. Yeah, but there was this idea that like you know he was he was kind of this crocodile Dundee knockoff. Yeah, but then after he died, like. It was there was a kind of uh, group unconscious decision. Where it was like no, like one hundred percent respect, yeah. and we'll never make fun of him. Or like you know, if like even if people do kind of make a, a, a crocodile hunter reference, a crocodile hunter reference, it's with affection now. It's like wasn't it great? Like the way he spoke. But I'm like, before he died, like sketch comedy shows would do impersonations of him, and like you know, breakfast radio would have people call in and, and do his voice and stuff. It's like when you die, I think you automatically get like. All right, it's fine. Like, you know, all that shit that we're saying about him, you know, we'll let that pass. Yeah, if you die tragically and if you die young, no doubt about it. But here's the thing. Like, because I did go through a period in my life where I was like, if you're ever going to be remembered fondly, you've got to die. Yeah. You know, because basically if you hang around long enough, you fucking ruin it for everybody. Yeah. And that's pretty much the case with everybody. Yeah. After a while, you're just like, oh. Put it away, granddad. Yeah. You were awesome, but why didn't you die? <laughs> right? But like, you know, to be remembered perfectly. Yeah. You know, that's what that's what happens. But then I realized that you're dead. 
So it doesn't matter to you mm. whether you're remembered fondly or not. Yeah. So I would rather be alive than dead and remembered fondly. Because when you're dead, you're dead. Yeah. And you don't give a fuck how anyone remembers you. You give a fuck how some people remember you when you're alive. Yeah. You you give a fuck about the idea that people will remember you when you're gone. But here's the truth, people. Elaine's in truth bomb. <laughs> I'm about to drop a truth bomb. Listen so up. if you have a truth bomb shelter that you need to get into, if you need to pack down some rations, <laughs> it's the truth bomb alarm. Uh, I'm about to lay down a massive truth bomb. When you die, you die. When you die, you die. And you don't give a fuck how people remember you once you die. Are you sure of that? Yes. Could not be more sure. No consciousness beyond death. Could not be more sure of that. How do you know? I don't. I'm not arrogant enough to pretend that I know. I have made a decision that works for me. Yeah. And it does. It's something that I feel 100% confident that I believe. Yeah. And when somebody else says, well, how do you dismiss what I believe? I say, I don't. I am nowhere near smart enough and I couldn't be asked reading enough or finding out enough to weigh this up any more than I have. I need to get on with the rest of my life. Uh, I don't have the time to be fucking looking at all the world's religions and philosophies to work out what I think works for me. So you're just going from your gut. I feel like there's nothing else. And that's good. That's out of the way. I can fill my day with, you know, doing the things that I want to do and watching box sets of DVDs in equal proportions. So that's not, but you know, like some people who believe in an afterlife, uh, that would be a motivation, you know, to live a good life or whatever. But your motivation is purely based in the present. You're like, well, there is nothing else. So however I live now. This is it. Yeah. So I should be nice to people and I should, you know, do well because this is it. It actually serves the same function as having an afterlife or working towards heaven. Totally, man. Like once I kind of got this perspective on my life, I just can't, you know, we were talking we're about... We're sounding awfully religious. Let me just put <laughs> a disclaimer. We have not intentionally strayed into theological discussion. Uh, we'll get back to the anal rape and time travel soon. Let's just, uh, we're just going to continue with this conversation for a little bit longer. Um, I, I don't hold on to any grudges or any hate. Like, I'm happy to hate someone for amusement on yeah. the spot, but I can change my mind about it the next day. I have no passion for genuine... Hatred In the last year, you know, and I won't mention who the names are or anything, but uh, I had a couple of people reach out to me that I had not gone on well with in the past and there had been kind of mini feuds type type things. And they kind of reached out, you know, and a couple of people who I felt maybe had done the wrong thing by me, but, you know, maybe from their perspective they thought that as well, you know. Mm. But a couple of people I felt like maybe I'd been wronged by reached out to me to kind of go, you know, are we cool? And I was amazed how easy I found it to go, yeah, we're cool. Yeah. And genuinely mean that. Yeah. Not just go, oh, they reached out so I should do the right thing, but me genuinely going, oh, I'm glad that, like, you know, we've got over this and Mm. and maybe if we run into each other, we can have a nice chat and a catch up and I'm really cool with that. Yeah. And I reckon that's all part of me just going, well, I'm just like, this is it. Yeah. Like, so many people live their lives... Uh, like going, when I get this thing, then... My life will be perfect. My life will be perfect. Yeah. And it's worth having all these days of shit and horribleness and whatever now, because when I get this thing, my life will be perfect. Yeah. Then two things happen. They either don't get that thing and it ruins their life because they put all their fucking eggs in that one basket of getting that thing, 
Or they get the thing and they realize it was nowhere near as good as they built it up to be and it hasn't solved any of their problems at all. Yeah. Like now is our life. Yeah. Like now is our life. I feel like now we're in a John Hughes film yeah, more than a religious really. film. Yeah. Now is our life. Yeah. And this detention will bring us all together for the rest of our lives. And the assembly, he'll stand up and start cheering and don't you forget. <laughs> Slow motion hand bump. I think it's good. And at the end, the little hand goes up and because it's got like tiny fingers, everyone's like, ah, oh, that's Charles. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I'm happy for you that you ended your feuds. I do think, though, that it's good that you're not a wrestler because if you're a wrestler yeah. and you told me that an enemy of yours had reached out <laughs> to end a feud, my next idea would be that he would ask to meet you in a ring in front of people. Yeah. And you get into the ring and he would put out his hand yeah. for you to shake. And you'd look around at the crowd, not sure if you should shake it. Yeah, not sure. should say no. I don't know. I'm like, no. oh, do, I, do I shake it or not? I mean, is he being genuine? So very tentatively, you shake his hand. And for the first couple of fist pumps, it looks like, oh, they're yeah. behind them. We're getting along. And then when you relax, yeah. the enemy digs his knee into your guts. What? Throws you out of the ring. What's happening? And hits you with a steel chair. Yeah. Because you never resolve a feud in wrestling. No. (laughs) I mean, you would almost think that people would stop meeting in the middle of sold-out wrestling arenas. (laughs) To work out their problems. (laughs) To work out their differences. Or getting, like, you know... (laughs) I can't remember that episode of In Treatment uh, where somebody went in for therapy uh, that would be a great sketch, though. Yeah. <laughs> Two wrestlers coming in on an episode of In Treatment with Gabrielle Byrne. <laughs> you know, to any girl uh, toe foppers, to any tea, female teabaggers out there, if a guy asks to marry you and you say yes, but then you find out you're getting married in a ring, <laughs> a wrestling ring, don't go because guaranteed your groom is going to get jumped. We've been watching a bit of wrestling since we've been in the States. I know, I've been getting back into it, actually. you and I, like... We were big. We we're probably out of our group of friends. We we're probably the biggest wrestling fans. Like Definitely. Ian. We we kind of um, for people who don't know, like most people think of wrestling, they think of Hulk Hogan in the eighties when it was probably at its its peak. But wrestling had another kind of uh, a kind of uh, uh, um, a glory re- period, renaissance, renaissance in the late nineties, early zeros, where yeah. um, the Rock, you know, the Rock from the Fast and the Furious and all those kind of films, the, the most electrifying man in sports and entertainment, yeah. Steve Austin, uh, Mick Foley, all yeah. these kind of cool wrestlers, and that's when. Will and I met and started going to watching wrestling. And, that, and what was great about the wrestling back then was the storylines were as good, if not better, than the actual wrestling. Oh, like I, I, we always describe wrestling to people that don't understand it. It's soap operas for men. Yeah. And it really is. That's exactly what it is. And they were great storylines. And they had like, then they brought in people like uh, Kurt Angle, who was actually an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. Like a real Olympic gold medalist in wrestling. Yeah. Came in. Um, there was there was Booker T, yeah. who was commentating the other night when we watched. Yeah. And Booker T's signature move, because uh, he was the five time five time world champion, <laughs> uh, his signature move was a thing called the Spinneroonie. Yeah, which basically was like a break dancing yeah. move before he did an elbow drop. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the, essentially, the break dancing move was really unnecessary. Why do you think wrestling like? Wh- what is it? What is it about wrestling that makes it popular? Because like, the intellectual part of my brain knows, like, this is so stupid. But then there's, like, I guess it's the fanboy element. Because there, there is a similarity with wrestling and comic books. Like, there's characters, there's good guys, there's bad guys. Like, you know, there's kind of, like, uh, they, they experiment with, like, the supernatural themes and all this kind of shit. Is well, that what I mean, is? this is the thing. There was The Undertaker, uh, who was... 
Undead. Undead. And then became a biker. Yeah. And then went back to being undead. Undead. And that's, that's what happens when you're undead. Occasionally you just like get bored of being undead and you're like, what should I do for a while? I mean, it's not like I'm dying. I'm undead. I might as well be a biker. Like, and then there was Kane. Yeah, who was his brother. Who was his brother who was horribly burnt in a... House some fire. sort of fire. He wore a mask for the yeah. first... Uh, because like he was horribly burnt. Five years that yeah. he was wrestling. But then um, he took off his mask and... Well, the thing was, they away. said he had to wear the mask because he yeah. was so horribly disfigured yeah. from the fire. And then they eventually unmasked him and yeah. he looked kind of ugly. normal. He was ugly. He was ugly. He didn't look disfigured, though. No. But that the, wasn't what fire did. That's what genetics did. But the wrestler who played him, when yeah. they told it, gave him the character brief, and they're like, um, and he's hideously disfigured. Yeah. And he's like, well, great. Am I going to wear um, some prosthetics or like, you know, some fake burns? And they're like, no, no, you're good. Yeah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Your face is fine. That's not a good day at work. I think this would be great. <laughs> but we were talking about this the other night. For someone who's meant to be a, um, you know, a complete and utter, you know, evil... Hellraiser. Yeah. He still manages to get to all the wrestling <laughs> events on time. Yeah. I mean, he catches the team buses. That's right. He's from parts unknown, yeah. yet he must have a social security number. That's he's right. He's getting paid every I mean, week. he's getting paid by Mr. McMahon. Like, he's doing promotional sort of appearances at events. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, for somebody, like for guys who are undead, risen from the dead, uh, all, all sorts of things like that. I mean, they are. And like guys who are feuding with each other. Like, feuding with each other, have tried to kill each other, yeah. you know, bashed each other when they're in the back of an ambulance. Yeah. Those sort of guys, they still rock up <laughs> to work at the same place. Even though they're not even human. <laughs> so, with wrestling, do you reckon, like, if you uh, achieve the popularity of, like, The Rock or Hulk yeah. Hogan or whatever, do you then get to dictate your matches? Because the strange thing is, when you see or read... Uh, when you read wrestlers being interviewed or see them being interviewed, um, they'll often talk about like how a match goes or the outcome of a match. And, and the way they describe it is it's like they improvise in the ring. So they know who the winner's going to be, but how they get there is kind of up to them. And there's stories about certain wrestlers who like, um, you know, will never lose. Like Hulk Hogan is kind of famous for doesn't like ever losing matches, even if he's a bad guy. Yeah. And he wins through disqual like he loses through disqualification, but he never actually will get pinned. Like that's a weird. How do you get to that point? Like, no other athlete in the world could get to the point where they can dictate, like, how they play in a game. The, uh, the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, outside Hulk Hogan and the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. And certain matches involving the Pakistani cricket team. <laughs> well, in this day of, like, the NBA, when players are so fucking good and, and talented and flashy, are the Harlem Globetrotters a bit kind of obsolete? Because the shit they do... Like the tricks and stuff, like you're actually seeing games now. Yeah, I mean, you don't see a lot of uh, guys in the NBA pulling each other's pants down or moving the four point spot into the key ring. Uh, but yeah, no, I th I think you're totally right. I think that like, you look at guys in the NBA like you know Blake Griffin and and uh, you know I guess LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and guys like that. And they all do things that are much more spectacular than what the Harlem Globetrotters do. And they don't need, like, a trampoline. Like, some of those Harlem Globetrotters do. I watched one of their games the other day, and some of them are, like, about 80. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, it's the bald there's, guy. like, a lot of walking frames. and like <laughs> The bald guy? The only one I remember is the bald guy. There's, like, a little bald guy, point guard. Oh, uh, I don't know. There was, like, some tall guy, and I was honestly like, mate, put him out to pasture. <laughs> 
He's limping. He looks like he's the- got sciatica. The Harlem Globetrotters shouldn't have sciatica. He looks like that walking tree from the Two Towers, Lord of the Rings. That's Rain. exactly what he looked like. <laughs> that is genuinely what he looked Lumbering like. Lumbering down the court. Oh man, I was like, give so, the Globetrotter a rest. Th- so they're not like bringing in fresh blood. Then it's not like the Wiggles where they sub out one Globetrotter and they're bringing like the f- new generation. It's still the same dudes. Oh, I'm guessing it's like at least some new dudes. They'd all be really old by now. Yeah, because they were around for Gilligan's Island and shit, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's not an original lineup. They're not, they don't have colostomy bags. They're all on, like, electric scooters <laughs> playing bingo. That's insane, though. Is there any other code in the world, sporting code, where there is a team of tricksters who can tour the world and, like, put on, like, exhibition matches and make money? Like, what other sport? Is there a... Yo-yo? Harlem... Globetrotter soccer team? Um, there is none. It's sort of those X Games, like the BMX guys or the... Yeah, I'm thinking um, ball, ball sports. That's not like that. Okay. Ball sports. There's none. They're the only ones. There's no trick baseball team. There's no trick football teams. There's no trick NFL teams that go around. I mean, what they do is a particular brand of like comedy, I guess. It's like theatre. Yeah. It's like, what is it? Well, how would you describe it? Sports comedy? What do they do? <laughs> well, it's like, yeah. It's- Answer me! <laughs> Oh, my God. Was there anything about Charlie that indicated (laughs) that he might be able to snap, get angry? (laughs) We found five dead basketballers buried under his house. Which is a real mistake because you take up a lot more room burying basketballers than you are. You had to, like, you know, murder murder the cast of Snow White or something. You can can stack, like, 50 dwarfs in my backyard, but you can only get, like, three (laughs) globetrotters. That's a really stupid decision. <laughs> I'm definitely murdering short people, so jockeys or midgets or, you know. So there's no other, um, there's no other sporting code that does that. Like whoever came up with the idea of the Harlem Globetrotters is a fucking genius because they're still around now. Like that's a good idea, but how would you? I mean, how the fuck did they start? I almost want to Wikipedia it right now, but let's make up their history. <laughs> no, no, Wikipedia. We'll go through it. All right, I'd be interested to learn. What do you think? Take a guess before I find out what how they actually came to be. What do you think they were? A team or just a bunch of like NBA rejects? Um, I'm going to say the Harlem Globetrotters uh, were from from Harlem, and they were like street basketballers. So they're made up of you know because like uh, if if I've learnt nothing else from uh, White Men Can't Jump, is that uh, there's a lot of street basketball that happens sort of in the inner cities. And, like, there's a lot of, you know, tournaments and, you know... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, games and stuff like that. So I'm assuming it's some sort of white men can't jump street-level Harlem, you know, trickster players, and they formed, like, a troupe and started okay. playing. Okay. What year do you think they formed? In uh, 1962. You ready to have your mind blown? Oh, I am ready to have my mind blown, The Harlem I? Globetrotters are an exhibition basketball team that combines athleticism, theatre, and comedy created by Abe Saperstein... In 1926. Wow. In Chicago, Illinois. My mind is blown. (laughs) The team adopted the name Harlem because of its connotation with the major black community. Yeah. Okay, so they've played over 20,000 exhibition games in over 118 countries. And how many have they won? What's their record? Uh, Does they have their record? I will get to that. 
We'll get to that. Have they ever lost? Are they twenty? Are they like nineteen thousand nine hundred and ninety nine and one? Oh, winning streaks and rare defeats. Here we go. Okay, cool. Do you want to go straight to that? Yeah, so let's go. We don't need to know how they start. They no, well, we'll go back to how they started, but I just want to know what their record is. Okay, um, they lost their first game in nineteen fifty-two. Got off to a bad start. To Seattle United. Imagine if there was a whole people, lot of people who bought a membership, went to the first game. They were like, "This is bullshit. This team will never win." 20,000 wins later. But hang on, what we need to establish first is when they lost their first game, were they still an exhibition team? Have they All lost? right, read because... through their history and we'll get to the record. Yeah, yeah, let's, before, okay. let's do it in order. All right, so um, there's no clear consensus about the beginning of the Globetrotters. Oh. Um, Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> What's clear is the genesis of the Globetrotters takes place on the south side of Chicago in the 20s. Um, uh, okay, so they started off as a premier attraction at the Savoy Big Five, the basketball team that played exhibitions before dances. So they've always been an exhibition team. Okay. Okay, that's good. Um, right, so they had the first game in Harlem in 1968. It talks about their star players. They were initially a seriously competitive team, and despite f- a flair for entertainment, they would only clown for the audience after establishing a safe lead in the game. Okay. So they were arrogant. That's how they started yeah. off as fucking showboaters. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? The showboating's more fun than the actual competing. Let's just fucking only play shit teams. <laughs> Winning streaks and rare defeats. So 1952, the Harlem Globetrotters lost to Seattle State University, now the Red Hawks. After losing to the Washington Generals in 62, the Harlem Globetrotters lost only two more games in the next 38 years. So in 12,596 games, they only lost two. Right. So the Generals have won the first match <laughs> and then lost all but two of the rest of them. Gee, if you if you go into that first game to pick which team you were going to support, and you were like, "Gee, these generals look good," I'm feeling like they're going to go on a hot streak. Well, how's this? So after winning twelve thousand five hundred ninety six games in a row, yeah, in nineteen ninety five they re entered the competitive league. Oh, uh, well, they were starting to think they were actually a good team. Yeah, <laughs> like we are undefeated under the new ownership of former player Manny Jackson. They entered competitive basketball. On September 12, 1995, they lost 91-85 to to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-star team in Vienna, Austria. So when we say competitive league, it's not like they went up against the Chicago Bulls. No, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the greatest scorer in the history of the NBA. Where's where's Vienna? Austria. So the Austrian Basketball League. Yeah. Wow. I would never have thought that Austria was importing, like, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and and the Harlem Globetrotters for a... No, you wouldn't have thought so. (laughs) That's not the first thing I'd think of. Don't they just, like, yodel and ski and shit in Austria? Apparently not. Apparently, ha- they, love, ha- apparently they love demonstration basketball. And harboring Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> They're like, well, yeah, why were you defaming? I don't know. Who do you need to say? What? Austria. The entire country of Austria. <laughs> what if we got sued by the... We, Arnold we, Schwarzenegger you know will come after you. We are in California. <laughs> he was the governor of this state, and he is from Austria. That, that he's, it's probably bugged. Yeah, His right. apartment is probably bugged. It, fucking Schwarzenegger, when he was in charge, probably would have bugged in every apartment. He hears people linking Austria to Nazis burst through the door. The uh, the Patriot Act. That's what the Patriot Act bought you. The end yeah. of the TOEFL. So if you had a reason to, if you didn't have a reason to dislike George Bush, now yeah. you know why. Yeah. We're get taken off the air. Um, you can't get sued by a country, can you? I don't think so. I think a country has better things to do. Um, I know that uh, Kyrgyzstan, or where, where was... Um, Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan uh, tried to sue Borat. The country did? Yeah. They probably got more publicity than... 
yeah, before. Yeah, but they they suspected Charlie hmm. that it perhaps wasn't the sort of publicity they were looking for. Oh, no country wants to be known as rapists. No. Backwards rapists. It turns out that Snobs. people aren't f- fond of that as an international reputation. At least Australia has, you know, Olivia Newton-John and koala bears. And just before anyone writes into the website... I understand that they're not bears. I was just using the term that tourists use for koalas. I always call them koala bears. Too. Yeah. Well, that's incorrect. I know, but isn't. But like... yeah, if you, I mean, I was using it ironically. I do you use that ironically. No, I, I, I you just... actually call them koala bears. Koala bears, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're not bears. I'm not Aussie. I'd fail the uh, I'd fail the Aussie test, yeah. I, and I don't know when Don Bradman was born. So, well, I don't think you know, need to know when he was born. I think your Don Bre- Bradman question is what did he average in cricket. Ninety nine point nine. Ninety nine point nine six. Oh, you're not Aussie. <laughs> Fuck off to where you came from. I'm not a Get Aussie. back in your boat. <laughs> Fuck off. Don't ruin my Australia day. By point Get the fuck out by of point here. Zero one you poofed it with your little hands. <laughs> Get out of my country. What is it? Zero ninety nine point nine four. Fuck, I'm not an Aussie. Not an Aussie. I'd point two off. Not an Aussie. Off. I'm gonna get a flag and bash you. Yeah, you should. Get that something. <laughs> For not being an Aussie. I'm going to draw a Southern Cross tattoo on my arm in Biro and bash you. Because <laughs> you got Don Bradman's betting average wrong. <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, it says here that the Harlem Globetrotters had their own animated series. That makes yeah, I, sense. I remember that. I was yeah. about to say I thought there was a cartoon. Do you remember like in the 70s and 80s, like everyone got a cartoon? Like Mr. T had a cartoon? Like, yeah. Uh, Happy Days had a cartoon? Like That was back in the days when, you know, cartoons were everything like the currency of, of childhood yeah who would that be now then who would the equivalent of, of those people be would like it be a cartoon about like what's the happy days of no, our time I think, I think the live action's taken over don't all the kids love like Hannah Montana and shit or is that too old for kids what do kids watch now <laughs> I don't know pedophile what do they kids. watch when you're driving buses <laughs> I don't know what kids watch how would I know what kids watch I know because you know what trends are popular like what films do well like is, you know what are they is it Dinosaurs, or oh, I don't know. It's like fucking Hannah Montana and fucking Diego and oh, Dora, Dora, Dora the, the Explorer and SpongeBob Square Square Pants and yeah. Oh, I guess they are. Well, they're cartoons. No. I guess kids do have cartoons. Seriously, still. don't fucking talk to me. What until cartoons you did you interesting. watch when I was a kid? Yeah, what were your favourites? Um, oh, well, I liked all the like the Looney Tunes ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone likes those. All right. Well, that's what I liked. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you're like, what did you watch? And then I tell you what I watched. And you're like, well, everyone watched those. What did you expect I was watching? And I was just watching some indie uh, European cartoons. Well, They're no. mostly in foreign languages and on flip books. No, but it's it like, was all black and white. Like, I got them imported from it, overseas on Super 8. No, it's like asking someone, do they like, what music do they like? And they say, oh, the Beatles. It's like, well, of course, everyone likes the fucking Beatles. Like, Looney Tunes. Get more specific. Tell me something about yourself with the cartoons you liked. Oh, I don't know. I like the literature. If you were cartoons. trying to impress a girl and you're talking about bands, it's like, oh, I like the Smiths. If I was trying to impress a girl and I was talking about what cartoons I liked, I would not be trying to impress a girl. Really? What if you meet some really cool indie chick, like that girl we saw at that bar, the um, cute one from Serenity and uh, Terminator Chronicles. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. she's like a hot nerd. Yeah. She's, she was in you, Dollhouse. Yeah, she probably... Oh, okay. Olivia Munn. She's okay. like the nerd, you know, yeah. she knows cartoons and shit. If you're trying to impress Olivia, Olivia Munn, what would you say? What cartoons do you watch? Captain Planet. Yes, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> now you're playing my game. 
Well, I didn't realise the I didn't realise the idea of the game was to seduce Olivia Munn. Yeah, exactly. Name a cool cartoon that would impress an indie chick. Yeah. I'm fucking awesome at coming up with things for that. You just said to me, "What did you actually watch?" Well, I just would have thought that you'd try and impress me like I was a hot indie chick. No. Um, <laughs> you are not a hot indie chick. You look a little bit like an Indigo Girls fan because you've got a check shirt on and a five o'clock shadow. Um, uh, I would like um, uh, G-Force. I liked um, Transformers. Yeah. Um, I liked Roger Ramjet. Yeah. I like Pinky and the Brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like... Wow, these are a lot of... I can't believe you started with Looney Tunes. You've got the fucking mother load. Yeah, you know lots of cartoons. Um, uh, Banana Man. Oh, yeah. Um, I liked... Uh, Danger Mouse. Danger Mouse. I liked a lot. I was yeah. really into Danger Mouse. These are all... you. This is... The child of the child of the child of the ABC, yeah. Danger Mouse, yeah. uh, Count Duckula. Did you watch that as well? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Um, Have you ever um, uh, gone to sleep? Uh, you go on YouTube and you look up like theme songs from cartoons in the eighties and just play them as you go to sleep. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I sometimes do. It's that. either your re- it's either your hypnosis relaxation <laughs> tape. Or fucking... You know what else I do? Sometimes if I can't sleep, I'll go on YouTube and I'll download um, theme music from video games I used to play when I was like 10 years old. Because you can go on and Google like Amiga 500 games and I'll just bring up a game and just play the music and lie in bed and go to sleep. Oh, yeah, there's nothing more soothing than... Not the game. No, that's the gameplay. Like the theme songs from some of those things. They bring back happy memories to me. They make me <laughs> Does that show like a, an underdeveloped uh, mentality? Sounds like something a stripper would say in a documentary. That's what it sounds like. And what, how old were you when your uncle stayed over? <laughs> that's what it sounds like. My uncle would bring me a video game. Every week, if I was a good boy. And even today, I can't get to sleep without the soothing sounds of those video games drowning out my tears. So you never, you've never done that? You've never delved into your childhood as some kind of soothing? No. Like, you know, eat a chocolate bar that reminds you of being a kid? No. Every time I try to do that, I'm disappointed. My memories of things are obviously much better than the things actually were. And, and we're wondering who's been abused here. <laughs> <laughs> Rewriting your past. It was all lollipops and rainbows. Everything was fine. Yeah. Everything was fine. <laughs> Everything was great. My life was perfect. Imagine that. We both uncover both being severely sexually abused. <laughs> we didn't realise till this point. <laughs> this is terrible. Um, I... Yeah, when I try to revisit things. Like, I got the goodies um, TV series yeah, box set. And I loved that show mm. when I was a kid. I never, I don't think that I ever thought there was a funnier episode of television ever than the episode of The Goodies, whereas the Western one where they discovered scones and jam yeah. and they had the gunfight with the toast and yeah. the... Kitty, what about Kitty Kong? Uh, I mean... You didn't like Kitty Kong? I'm not saying I didn't like other episodes, the Roth Harris. That was your I just, But I just thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my Eki life. Thump. 
Ecky Thump. Oh, anyway. So I went to rewatch the goodies on the box set DVD, and I'm not saying it. It's bad now. But I remembered it as this like inspired, you know, yeah. comedy genius, yeah, and yeah. It, like almost Monty Python esque. Yeah, it's like absurdist but brilliant. And this, uh, and I was convinced these jokes will be funny forever. Yeah, there is no, I could never get so old and cynical, and times and tastes could never change so much that this would not still be hilarious. Yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, I agree. And quite often when I go back to those things that I have such. Like, you know what another one is? The Transformers cartoon. You know when the movie started to come out, whatever, they boxed up all the old Transformers cartoons on, on like, you know, DVD. And I thought, oh, I love that cartoon when I was a kid. I'm going to get, you know, the old Transformers cartoon and watch that and bring back these childhood memories. Mm. And I was, all I thought after watching it was, oh, I was a fucking stupid <laughs> kid if I was happy with this. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was clearly just, a, you might as well have just scrunched up paper and flashed your torch at me. That's all I needed to be entertained, obviously. I was shattered with when I saw the goodies again, because I was the same as you. I thought I worshipped them as comedy gods. Like I remember playing, playing goodies with like my friends. Like, yeah. You know, we'd, we'd, you'd play Bill, you'd play Tim, you'd play Graham. And then when we watched it again and we were really excited, it was just like, this is like made for like five-year-olds. Like this is not funny. And it was so... Devastating because in my mind, I'd grown up in a house with like Monty Python and the goodies and I had lumped them together in my memory. Yeah. Yet Monty Python is kind of like lasted, but then you see the goodies, it's like, well, they, you can see that they're born out of the same kind of ideal, the same movement, comedy movement, but the goodies, I mean, was it... But I think, there was, just, a, I think there was a time too when popular. people like, thought that like... It wasn't just us, it wasn't just like young kids in Australia, like they were big, obviously, to get like 10 seasons of their show, whatever the fuck they got, so it wasn't just... Although... Uh, here's a little interesting fact. The goodies never got replayed in the UK. Oh. They did the first run of their series and then the show never got shown again. It was on constant repeat in Australia. Oh. So they became much bigger stars in Australia and the show never got shown. It's only recently, in fact, I think this just this year, been shown for the second time yeah. on UK TV ever. We had the goodies album at my place on vinyl. It was a, it was a comedy album, like songs and sketches. Yeah, the, the Funky Gibbon. No, I don't know. Wasn't the fuck you given on it? No, but that is a song called Blow Enough. It's a guess. Blow Enough. It's a trip. It's a sin to hold it in, so <laughs> let it rip. Some <laughs> folks like to hiccup. Some folks like to cough. But me, <laughs> I blow off. And it was a song all about farting. And they had this, like, and me and my, my sister would listen to it and laugh so much. It was just like they had, like, a orchestral section that was just all farting. Like, <laughs> I had the goodies album. And the goodies do, album. do you know what album I had? What? Um, I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was an album by Mike Brady. He of... Uh, the Brady Bunch. No, no, the um, the Australian Rules singer, Up There Kazali. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, One Day in September. Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> He's Greg's brother, Yeah, right? it was an album by a f- fictional character <laughs> from a TV show. <laughs> Well, it's just because I had a goodies album. I yeah. Yeah. So no. Mike Brady, yeah, up there, Kazali. Yeah, Mike, up there, yeah. Kazali. He yeah. did this album that was all about famous football players. And it was like their stories uh, set to, like, so there was one about, like, like you folk know. folk songs. Yeah, about, like, Captain Blood or Kevin yeah. Bartlett or, yeah. you know, Teddy Whitten. Yeah. Um, and and at, 
Uh, and they were all done in different, you know, uh, styles. Like the Teddy Whitten one was done almost as an interview song. So it was like, so tell me, Mr. Football, Mr. Whitten, if you like, <laughs> did you ever blah, blah, blah. And there was like this one about Peter Hudson, like the year he kicked the 150 goals and then kicked it into the man on the mark. And it was like, Hudson number 26, <laughs> 150 through the sticks. Just one more goal to beat them all. Come on, huddle, get that goal. <laughs> you sound like Mike Brady then. You had the Mike Brady lilt. And, and, and it like had commentary from the, the songs. And there was one about uh, Peter Moore, uh, you know, where they built this man, they threw the mold away or something like that. And it was like this whole album of like folk songs about legendary players from the AFL. And I played it over and yeah. over again. I loved it. I remember when I used to go to Moorabbin when I was like a kid to see the Saints play back in their suburban home ground at the merch stand, which was just a card table set up outside the ground. Someone was selling like a cassette tape, like an old style cassette tape. And there was like a hand-drawn uh, caricature of Tony Lockett on the front because mm. that was back when he was playing with the Saints. And there was two songs on it. Like there was the Plugger Rap and there was another one called like, you know, Tony Lockett on the other side. And I went home and bought it. It's like five bucks. And the, the first song was the folk song that went, Plugger, oh, Plugger, the champ from Ballarat. The golden boy with the golden boots, move over Bobby Pratt. Plugger, oh plugger, if there's a grandstand round, he'll rock it. Metropolis might have Superman, Moravin's got Tony Lockett. <laughs> and I listened to that tape again, and obviously I know the fucking words. <laughs> I wish I could remember the rap. The rap song wasn't as memorable, but that was on the other side. And it was one of those kind of back when people thought rap was like you're playing an electric guitar and scratch a record. That's like a rap song. <laughs> like, that's what rap was in 1990. You know, like Fight for Your Right was a rap song. <laughs> Oh, okay, I am going to call time of death um, on this podcast. Uh, so thanks for is listening. That, is that your new way of saying let's wrap it up? Yeah, I'm trying to find different ways. I'm going to call. Fucking... T- I'm going to call time of death. Is that a bit depressing? <laughs> it was a little depressing. What? What? what oh, have you got a better one for me? Oh no, no. I mean, I, I had no problem with let's wrap it up. Wind it up. Wind it up. Well, yeah. whatever it was. I see. That's how little interest I showed it. <laughs> I don't even know what it was. Okay, let's fuck this puppy. Uh, have you ever heard that phrase before? Yeah, I used to use it all the time I'd... on um, Glasshouse. And I don't know where I picked it up from. I wasn't my, but not on the actual show, but just before we would start, every week I'd finish talking to the audience because Husey and Corinne and I would do the audience warm-up ourselves. So we'd be about to tape, and when you're in a TV studio about to tape a show like that, there's always, like, you know, 20, 30 seconds or whatever when you've been put in your place to start the show, but then something goes wrong with a cameraman or a sound or someone's in the wrong position, and you just have to fill in time. And so, you know, you'd start riffing with an audience member or whatever, and I'd always finish it by somebody giving me the signal that the show had to start, and I'd say, all right, let's fuck this puppy. And people would laugh, and then Husey would say something along the lines of, come on, Will, that's not right. Let it grow up to be a dog. <laughs> before, you, like, also, you always have something off the back, and it was like a little ritual. Two of the guys who wrote on Glasshouse uh, write the TV show The Jesters. Now, if people haven't seen this show, uh, it's re- it's on Movie Extra, but you can download it off iTunes, and it's really funny. It stars Mick Malloy as a sort of uh, comic. Like a really legendary comedian. Yeah, exactly. Who does it, like, he's in charge of a Chaser-style comedy troupe. And it's a very in the style of Larry Sanders and those sort of shows. And it's and it's really funny. And I did a um, cameo in the, playing myself, in the first uh, episode of the second series. And the whole uh, through line 
of that episode is around the expression, let's fuck this puppy. Oh, really? Like, that's the running joke of them not knowing what it means and whatever. And so it's it's really interesting because they've picked up all these things from all the places that they have written and yeah. you know, taken bits from when they wrote for The Chaser and when they've written for our show and other shows and it's all come into this show. And so sometimes you sit there going, oh, are they making fun of me now? <laughs> you know? But, and and in and in this sort of cameo that I play, I mean, I it, it obviously is kind of making fun of me, but it's fun. It's really it's funny, and because I don't act, it was really interesting for me to see myself in a in a real show with lines because yeah. I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever been in a show on TV and had to learn dialogue and done lines before. Yeah, like I mean, I've you know obviously I've done lots of TV, but I've never acted in a show where I had lines. So it was the first time I'd ever seen myself on TV, acting. How'd you go? I didn't... I wasn't convinced that I was me. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think I probably... um, Luckily, my character was meant to be nervous anyway. So I think my nervous energy, like, translated into a little bit of truth, Charlie. If you're Bernard King and you had done that acting job on Potluck, how would he have described you and what score would he he have given? He would have said, uh, Will... Uh, this movie might not be a hit with Jewish viewers because a little bit too much ham, but uh, I'm going to give you... What did you score it out of? Was he out of 10? Yeah. 10. I'm going to give you a very solid 6.5 out of 10. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to go. So check out www.tofop.com. Has yeah. that too many Ws? You don't have to say the Ws. Everyone knows the Ws that are at the start. Just say tofop.com. www. I think it's really w. hard to say. Oh. Everybody knows that the World Wide Web is www. Which is actually more syllables to say than World Wide Web, by the way. Oh, yeah. BTW. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not the first person to make that observation, but WWW is a lot harder to say than World Wide Web. Yeah. The abbreviation is you... more trouble than the fucking words. That's first, so, World Wide Web, tofop.com. <laughs> or tofop.com. And Everybody knows. You don't have to say HTTP. Uh, forward slash, forward slash, forward slash, forward slash, www. Uh, and you're doing shows? Oh, I'm doing shows. Willanderson.com.au to see if I'm coming to where you are. Come and see me tell some jokes out loud. That would be awesome. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs>